Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Jay Flaunts His Ignorance, the podcast. In this episode, you'll hear my grandfather, Earl C. Humphrey, recount his experiences during World War II. This episode is labeled Earl IV. If you haven't listened to the previous episode labeled Earl III, I recommend you go back and start with that one. It tells the story of the sinking of the USS Houston CA-30 and how my grandfather became a prisoner of war. In 1980, my grandfather had a stroke which affected his speech. His speech mostly recovered, but you'll hear some slurring in these recordings. In 1982, my father Jim Hanna sat down with him and recorded 11 audio tapes capturing his oral history. This is one of those tapes. This tape is labeled Earl IV. Earl recounts being a prisoner of war for, of Japan for three and a half years, including a year on the Burma Thai Death Railway. During construction, 100,000 or more Southeast Asian civilians were worked to death under brutal conditions. Nearly 13,000 POWs also died building the railway. British, Australians, Dutch, and Americans. I hope you enjoy hearing my grandfather tell his story in his own words. If you like this episode, there are more I can post. Let me know on twitter.com slash jflaunts. Thank you. So, here it is. My father interviewing my grandfather in 1982. Outside the wire, and he went down the, the coconut trees, and he climbed the coconut tree, and he was just throwing the coconut <laughs> <laughs> down. He had him an old sack there. He was getting them in. And two English MPs came by, and they got on for stealing the king's fruit, you know. That was English property. <laughs> and they had a bad mouth. I don't know what kind of language you talk. He didn't talk English. Dutch, I suppose. And uh, he stood there very patiently <laughs> and listened to their tirade. They was threatening him, you know, in the jail, put him in jail and everything like that. Finally, <laughs> he just hauled off and he just flattened both of them. <laughs> oh, boy. Picked up his shoe and left. You mean he just this was his fist? You bet you. Took him on and well, he was a great big black guy, you know. <laughs> and there was just two little Ronnie Anglesen. Knocked you know. them both out. He just slaughtered them. <laughs> Walked off and left him laying there. Took his coconuts yeah. and went home. That's a, that's the way with our group. He is up there in the English. They've come find out that chick, the Englishman had some chickens in a pen over there <laughs> over in the English section a bunch of our guys went over there and they stole a bunch of chickens <laughs> and the old Frank Festival was uh, just coming out of the coop, they had a coop, wire coop with a lid on that and wire netting on top of it you know, walk around, he could go up in there old Frank was just coming out of the chicken coop with the chicken in both hands <laughs> and this <laughs> <laughs> this Englishman met him right in the door of the coop. Uh-huh. He said, I say, mate, what you doing there? Yes, it's a king's. <laughs> oh, no, Frank's just all running in him over the head with the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> the veterans in the gut. <laughs> Back the guy and kept on going. Back the guy and kept on going. They see chickens. <laughs> and the next day, uh, the old English colonel <laughs> came down there to our colonel with a protest, official protest. The Americans was a stealing the Englishman's <laughs> chickens. And uh, old Colonel Cyril, he, he'd been cutting on the loot 
he was standing there. We was all in formation. He was standing there, and I think he should have still chicken grease in his whiskers. I right sure. And he listened to the English colonel, and the Englishman finally again. He turned around, Colonel Cyril did. He said that we have an official complaint from the British authorities. That some of you men's been stealing. <laughs> he says, "I want the men responsible to step forward." <laughs> it wasn't nobody moved. The old girl stood there and turned around again. Said the Englishman, "Then, then my, my my men been shooting." <laughs> they did. Says oh, they did. <laughs> so I can say I ain't right sure, but I think they had chicken grease in his whiskers when they talked to me. <laughs> yeah, I would think fried chicken would be quite the treat at that point after all you've been through. <laughs> How long did it keep you there in uh, we Singapore? In, we was in Singapore about three months. Mm-hmm. And then we got uh, loaded up on the railroad train and we went north of Penang. On the Malaya Peninsula, mm-hmm. I think that's that's where that guy was from. It was up to your place that time. Yeah, what was his name? Right, uh, Paul Tan. Yeah, yeah, uh, Penang. We, we mm-hmm. went uh, right there. Yeah, we went to north on the railroad, rode on the railroad, Penang, Penang, uh, Malaysia. Yeah, mm-hmm. then we got on another old Jap transport, Mumbai up to Mumbai. In Burma. Mulmain in Burma. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's on the tip uh, of Burma or sort of we, on the We main got part. bombed going up this side here. We got bombed by B-24s. This, uh, there's two shiploads of us. This, this ship that was, this was sunk, and they doggone near sunk us. But we managed to keep her afloat. Were they American or English? Well, or what, uh, you know? B-24s, they was one or the other. I don't know what the English, English or American. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know they were troop transports, no. obviously. Just See, that's against the law, too. International law, you're supposed to identify ships like that. And marked Red Cross, you know, mm-hmm. on the, when you're moving President Wooden. We was never in any place where they were marked. <laughs> never. Even even in the camps, or even something the like camps, that. I didn't have a thing in the yeah, them. Yeah. and we got bombed. <laughs> we got bombed. Yeah. <laughs> so after they uh, dropped you off there in Mulmain, then that's when you started the work on that's, the Burma yeah, Railroad. The railroad. Now, how? What did they march you up to, or did you just start work right there and just start no, building, or did we, you have to march inland or something? We, they, they was an existing railroad down to a place called Tambazayat, mm-hmm. which was I don't know ten, fifteen kilometers down the way, and maybe a little farther than that. From there, so when we started into the jungle with the new new track. Mm-hmm. So you were building a brand new railroad. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of it was that they wanted to transport uh, goods and supplies yeah. through Burma. Yeah, yeah. See, they, they could come in here. Otherwise, it is shipped all the way around here. See? Oh, I see. So they were going across land, yeah, through Burma and then Thailand, yeah, and Laos and French into China. Yeah, because they already had railroads that in here. Yeah, and they already had uh, uh, ports. You know, ships could come in here. Mm-hmm. If they wanted a direct, more of a direct yeah. access. Okay. 
and we built the railroad. Now, how long altogether did you work on the railroad then? I, I was on it about a year. About a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was through one rainy season and one dry season. Mm-hmm. We got to, we started to work in in the dry season. When I, when I say dry, I mean dry. It never rained. Never, never. Mm-hmm. Dusty, get the about six inches deep. You know, you know when you walk through mm-hmm. dust. Uh, dust getting splashes like water, yeah. and uh, it never rained. Always, always uh, working in that dust, dust to settle on you, and you sweating in dust to sweat on you. Boys, down you just decoded with mud. Now, were you in the jungle? Yeah. Okay, so this was like virgin territory right through the jungle absolutely what what the jungle looked like i guess i always thought the jungle was always wet uh, no no they out in the dry season they have a dry season and wet season okay at least there that's what it was. now would this be real thick underbrush oh boy i'll say so you had to like machete it off or something yeah. to get through and dig up the stumps and mm-hmm. I mean, dynamite or anything like that? Yeah, I had a little dynamite, but never got to use it except in the rock. Uh-huh. When you got into rock, it was, you, you used dynamite, but the other ways you dug it up with a spade. Mm-hmm. Cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess they had all this forced labor, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then. No, there, there were, would have been a couple thousand of you at this point. Yeah. Still? Yeah. When they sunk that one tr- troop transport, were those, uh, did they lose all those prisoners? A lot of them. And there's a lot of Japanese, a bunch of Japanese engineers on there. Mm-hmm. And they also had a couple of railroad locomotives on there. Mm-hmm. Well, when they, that, that sucker got hit, she went down like a rock, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that whole locomotive's on there, they heavy. <laughs> yeah. About how many, uh, how much track could a, could a, uh, could a crew lay in a, in a, did they have a certain, like they wanted to cover a, Build a mile a day or well, something. Or well, you see, they, they had a camp set up about every uh, about every five kilometers, mm-hmm. every ten kilometers. They have a camp. Well, all this is simultaneously. You see. Oh, I see. Some people, thousands of men, thousands of them was digging the dirt, mm-hmm. making the fill, and thousands of them was uh, breaking rocks to go on the, the fill. How many? Thousands. What's your estimate? How many thousand were involved in this project then? No, there's probably a hundred thousand. Hundred thousand yeah. prisoners working on this. No, thing? not all prisoners. Oh. They did some they, of the natives. Yeah, yeah. It just, if they need more help, they just go out around the natives, bring them in there. <laughs> they get hot. Yeah. Huh. <clears throat> so the stretch you worked on, like. Like you just moved from one camp to the next, yeah. more or less. Yeah. And then you eventually worked your way clear across. Yeah. Uh, did they actually get the thing completed? Yeah. yeah. So you went clear across Burma, Thailand, Laos, and what we'd call Vietnam. Then. No. No. Uh, it, it ended at Bangkok in Thailand. See, Bangkok is where the railroad ended that we built. Oh, okay. There's already a Okay, so. About a year there, and you were yeah. going through the jungle, building the railroad. I mean, and might comment a little bit uh, on the <clears throat> jungle and the monsoon season. 
and monsoon season they have the wet season he, oh yeah you're, and then there's the mm-hmm. dry season mm-hmm. when it's dry about six months out of the year it never rains it don't rain at all everything dries up but then the monsoon season starts uh, during the dry season the wind blows prevailing winds blow out of China mm-hmm. out of the Gobi Desert and come down out there out of the Himalayas mm-hmm. and it's dry dry air and no moisture then uh, long about the 1st of May this, this monsoon season starts and the wind blows off the Indian uh, mm-hmm. Ocean mm-hmm. and it blows up and then it starts to, that warm moist air starts to raise over the range of mountains and when it does and cools it starts raining and it don't never quit for six months. For six months, man, <laughs> it don't. It may uh, slow down to where it's just a fine mist, you know. Mm-hmm. But it never quits rain. Which one did you prefer, the dry season? Oh, or the, the wet dry season? by far. Yeah, it, even though it was hot and miserable. Yeah. What was it like to be wet for six months you straight? Get terrible. You get prunified. You know, your hide gets wrinkled. And not only that, that's when the diseases start. Mm-hmm. Malaria, mosquitoes, gnats, all that good stuff. Jungle rot. And, uh, and your clothes are wet all the time. It's never dry. And your clothes start to mold right on you, right on your body. Mm-hmm. What would you be wearing during all Just this? Just spare shorts, if, it, if, it, if you wore that. Sometimes we didn't wear nothing but a G-string. <laughs> it's a Japanese underwear, you know. It's just stripped of cloth that on a string. Mm-hmm. And it's just loin cloth with what it amounts to. A lot of times that's all we wore, if we had one. But never, we just, uh, otherwise we'd wear a pair of shorts. This pair of shoes that you'd managed to round up earlier, how long did you wear those? You wear those during wore them until they absolutely fell off the feet. Mm-hmm. Then did you round up another pair? You, you what the, the way it worked there in general, see, you use a buddy up. Buddy up with another guy or a couple other guys or three other guys. Got to look after one another, you know. And uh, it was the unwritten law that uh, when your buddy died, you got his... He inherited his stuff. Yeah. If he had a pair of shoes, you got him. Yeah. If he had a pair of pants, you got him. Anything he had, you got him. Well, seemed to seem to me like the all my buddies I had over there during that jungle was either so cotton picking tough, you couldn't kill him with a club, or else they didn't have anything. <laughs> That's the kind of buddies I always wound up with. You never did inherit a pair of shoes. Huh? <laughs> I never did have a buddy I inherited anything off of. It's <laughs> <laughs> just tough old boys, or else they didn't have nothing. <laughs> well, what'd you do when your first pair of shoes wore out? Go there? barefooted. So did you yeah. go barefoot most of the time? Most of the years, most you were of there? the time. Most of the time, wherever I was, I went three years and a half, most of the time, barefooted. Didn't have any shoes. And they never buried anybody with clothes on. And they stripped the clothes off them, mm-hmm. bury them in a rice sack or something. Mm-hmm. They never threw away clothes. Never. 
or anything else that you, you, you anyone could use. How often did they feed you while you were doing this work on the railroad? Well, usually, we'd be uh, when we was doing the heavy work on the railroad, we'd uh, get at least two meals a day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, three. It just kind of depends because uh, a lot of times it was almost impossible to get stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Man, mud was mud was knee deep. You couldn't run trucks in there. The best trucks they had was ones that captured six-wheel drive, you know. They had six-wheel drive, and they had a winch on the front, you know. Well, they'd just winch up to a tree, and then help them go on to another tree uh, with all six wheels spinning, you know. And uh, it hadn't been for them trucks, we wouldn't got anything in there. Because the old Japanese, they didn't have any good trucks. Mm-hmm. But they was bringing stuff down the railroad we was building. Mm-hmm. See, it was built into the jungle by the lead track and then the rain, uh, engines and could bring the food. Bring the food that the rail had, and mm-hmm. you carried it from there on your on your back. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it was mighty scanty. Usually, usually rice was the main. Rice thing. was the main thing, and we always have some kind of a. Or it's a lot of times I have some kind of a stew. Which was made up of green watermelons. Uh, that's what we call them. It looked like it. It looked like just green watermelons, uh, just white pumpkin-looking things, chopped up in it. And then once in a while, they have uh, that uh, spice meat to put in. Uh, they preserve this meat. They cut meat cut up in chunks, and then put in a wooden box. Mm-hmm. And all kinds of spices put on it. Mm-hmm. Ginger and pepper and all this. Keep them rotten, see? Yeah. yeah. Getting rotten. Well, it, a lot of times it didn't work. He'd put a little lid off the old box and that's meat in there just be seeding with worms. But we still eat it. Just to put it in to get a pan of, or a pot of uh, water, cold water, dump it in there. And then uh, start to heat fire in it. And when it started getting hot, the maggots started to crawl out and float to the top. Or mm-hmm. you skim them off. Mm-hmm. And then you cook it. Just eat the meat. And yeah. yeah. And then didn't always get all the maggots out of it either. But that's all right. We eat them. But there was maggots in the rice. The rice was usually wormy, you know, mm-hmm. or outside beetles in. Yeah. So. The raw has had rocks in, dirt pieces of leaves and stuff like that I, I probably right now I couldn't eat it boy you could eat anything man. Yeah. and glad to have it I suppose I'm huh? mighty glad to get it there, while you're in the jungle there did you ever run across any uh, wild things oh yeah clubbing ahead oh yeah. yeah lots of just all kinds of uh, things in there like the oh uh what is them hooded snakes? Uh, oh, cobras? Cobras, cobras. There's all kinds of other things in there. They used to kill them every once in a while. They, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, just throw them in the soup? Um, yeah, yeah. we cooked the snake. We killed one python there. He was 18 feet and some long. <laughs> we we eat him. He's pretty good eating. What, did you bake him or something? No, chopped him up and put him in his soup. 
That'd be a lot of meat, 18 yeah, foot pine 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 pine. Pretty big, good size. We huh? scoffed him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And they, that, uh, we get that rotten meat every once in a while. But it's real good. You have to keep the meat itself. But if it's rotten, it gives us. <laughs> <laughs> what was your treatment like as a whole? Obviously, your food wasn't much. What, what no. else was it like? Uh, they, they, they bound you into ground on the least little excuse. As a matter of fact, they bound you into ground for no reason. As a, and I can't think of it once or once or twice. Whenever I got bashed, then they knew why. Never knew why. Some stupid guard would start getting hysterical and start yelling and screaming. And you couldn't understand me. You didn't know what he wanted, and he'd bash you around. <laughs> Most of the time, he never knew why he was getting. How many times were you beaten? Would you think oh, while I you were there? Oh man, I don't know. They used to clog you down. He used to, he was working on a bridge at one time, putting a big bridge across the river. And they had, to, had the spikes. Oh, that about eight. He was just long. They had barbs cut in them, mm-hmm. and you'd drive them in there to hold the timbers together. You know, but you couldn't pull them out. And all with the barbs on there, and then we got picking Jap engineers used to stand up there on the bridge, and we were trying to put up them sections. And they're heavy, boy. They're tons. And when he's trying to get in them sections up there on that bridge, and he'd be mad. He'd be trying to hurry. And, he starts throwing them spikes at you. Man, if he ever hit you with one of them, you know, and drove it into you. Well, he just had to drive it on through because you couldn't pull it out mm-hmm. with them barbs on. And I never, I never turned my back on them dudes when they hit them, when they had one of the uh, spike throwing spits. Now I was up on the bridge, uh, clear up the next to the top one time and had a uh, hand bracing bit you know mm-hmm. to drill, drill a hole it's, you're going to drill a hole through it and it's going to put a strap iron on there to strengthen that part and I was holding on around the poly just with the one hand that old bracing bit you know and I was augering that hole through the through the piling and there's a jack right above me and there's a block of wood there weighed six, seven pounds and he just kicked that off on me just for fun well I hit my hand and I didn't know what he's doing until it hit me and it hit my hand and that way I just started going numb that's the only thing that's holding me from falling Could <laughs> Cleared down in the river, you know, <laughs> under rocks, but mm-hmm. and I, I was afraid to move. And that old hand is just slowly going numb, you know, and, and I was afraid she's going to slip off and then top me over backwards. And so I, I hung on to the brace mitt. The brace mitt was in wood, mm-hmm. and I slowly pulled myself back up to where I was balanced and I could slip around. Mm-hmm. The poly. That jet just thought that was the funniest thing. He just ha ha ha. I get to kill him. I like to drill the holes right through him and that bracing bit. Mm-hmm. 
Because they kill me from the fellow. Mm-hmm. Now I just come on and this uh, kind of no reason, you know. Mm-hmm. Just anything to make you miserable. When you when you say that they just come up and bash you once in a while, do you mean they just like hit you with a stick or with use their rifle butt? Rifle butt, yeah. Hit you in the back of the head, yeah. Kick you, yeah. kick you, or slug you with a fist. Man, you didn't know why. I guess they just enjoyed it. You mentioned one time that uh, sometimes they were pretty tough on themselves too. Oh like yeah, officers would absolutely. Be not only officers, it must have men. Mm-hmm. See, a corporal, a corporal, he's got absolute authority over them. them Private. If you want to beat him up, it's all right. Mm-hmm. You can beat him up. You know, that's a tough outfit. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, they're in Saigon when them fighter planes come in. Uh, they uh, always park the fighter planes alongside the runway. They had a, an old shack up there that they used using for an operation shack, you know, where they always used to come in. And you stand there watching them fighters come in. They'd come in hot and landed. And after they landed, why they'd turn around and taxi back up the strip and park by that operation shack. And this one old boy, he landed made landing, good landing, went to roll along, and I reckon he tried to turn around, spin it around when he had too much speed. He still had too much speed. And when he turned it, stepped on the brake and spun it around, the undercarriage collapsed. Mm-hmm. Wham! Down the concrete, she went best probable at the <laughs> record landing carriage. Bit the wingtips. <laughs> And he called out ever and uh, walked around the plane looking at the damage, you know, and then he just took off walking up the, the runaway. And when uh, he got almost up the shack by that Taijo flight officer, he come out of the shack. And they always wear the uh, uh, saber, you know, on their belt. And <clears throat> They go and pilot out, saluted, and studied the dancing. That's boy, this old officer, he used to reach down and up that saber. Let the scabbard still on. Mm-hmm. He didn't take it out of the scabbard. He just you know, left the scabbard on. And he used to like club. He just beat that guy. He'd knock him down. <laughs> he'd squall and he'd get up and come to a dancing and then he'd knock him down and <laughs> beat him with that saber. Saber little work out. Oh boy, that's for a pilot, an officer. They get a beat like because <laughs> they cranked up the plane. Yeah. I don't know whether it was this fault or not. Might have been some fault within the carriage. Mm-hmm. Might not have latched or something. When they, when they lowered the wheels, it might not have latched. Come all the way down. Mm-hmm. My dad had a bullet hole to his hydraulic system. I don't know. But that officer didn't ask. He just beat him up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they didn't say nothing of it. Mm-hmm. Just. I mean, old Ken Paul, when he's cooking. I was uh, one of the cooks. I wasn't a regular cook. I was just working out in different places, warehouses mostly. And there's an Englishman named Ken Paul. 
and they said they cooked they cooked the breakfast at night. Worked all night to cook breakfast for about two thousand men, you know, mm-hmm. on the tube and the cooking. They'd do the whole thing. And uh, under primitive conditions. And uh, the other cook got uh, sick. Sicker than the dog. And so uh, one of our officers come down to me and said, Hey, I said, You're in pretty good shape, ain't you? And I go, Well, I guess so. I'm about a good shape in my yeah. He says, uh, Well, uh, he says, One of the cooks is sick. He said, Would you go up and uh, cook in this place till he comes back? And that make it different to me. I mean, uh, one place is as bad as the other. I said, oh, I don't care. I'll go up and cook a few days till he gets on his feet. So I did uh, with this Englishman, this Englishman named Ken Paul. And we was a cooking in there, there at night, and, you know. And the guards down at the guardhouse, Japanese guards, they used to bring stuff up there and want us to cook it <laughs> for him, see. Yeah. Well, we didn't want to do it. We were afraid not to. You get, to get beat up, you know, if you refuse. So, again, uh, say, uh, um, can you take care of the rice uh, while I cook this stuff? Uh, I said, yeah, go ahead, I'll, I'll try to keep up. So I wouldn't. One night, old Ken was a cooking, an old chicken, and they're making some omelets, egg omelets. And he was just cooking them, and every once in a while he spit in it, you know. <laughs> and the old Tadjo walked in. Is at night, middle of the night, the old camp commandant, Japanese. He was a big bruiser. He was tough. He was fair. He's one of the fairest guys I've ever seen. He was tough, and he wondered what the world can was cooking this chicken when well, he knew old Ken didn't have no chickens, you know. <laughs> he, <laughs> he demanded to know where that chicken come from. Yeah. Well, Ken was afraid, afraid to tell him, he was afraid not to. Yeah, really. <laughs> he couldn't get himself beat up either way, you know. <laughs> but finally, he decided he better go the best way. <laughs> he said the guards down to the guard check, but then, and the old Taijo, he said, no. He said, you don't cook for them guards. He said, they've got their mess all, and they've got their cooks, and you don't cook for them. <laughs> well, that's fine with us. We don't want to cook for them. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> it went on, and he had several days, and we got some more stuff. And they brought us more stuff in the guardhouse, and Ken was cooking it, and, I was, and that doggone Taijo walked in again. And right away he seen that we had stuff there that we wasn't supposed to have. <laughs> he said, Where's this where's this from? And again you couldn't do it in guard house. He didn't say a word every time he walked out of there. <laughs> walked out of there and he went down to the guardhouse. Well the guardhouse was down the main gate and it was consisted of a of bench, uh bench where the guards that was off duty set. They were just standing by the off-duty guards mm-hmm. on this bench. Be about 10, 12 of them. And then there was a sergeant's desk behind that, and the old sergeant sitting behind that desk. Well, when the old Taijo walked around the corner of the building, and in front, there said about half of them suckers asleep. <laughs> oh, 
boy, you could hear him scream. <laughs> you could hear him scream halfway to China. <laughs> and them little boys come out of there like bumblebees. <laughs> and they lined up at detention, and then Taiyu uh, had done the same thing. He had his cheese cutter on, he took that cheese cutter and that saber, that uh, scabbard, mm-hmm. off his belt. And he lined them up, and he just beat them. <laughs> Old Ken Paul said to me, he said, boy, he says, we bought the farm up. Yeah. Said them cards will be after us like Link Nasty on the knee. <laughs> what are we going to do? I said, well, what the heck can we do? Can't run away. We can't run away. You got to police school. Mm. We just have to <laughs> back her up, I guess. <laughs> we bought the farm. We bought the farm. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, we was we was real uptight. Uh, we just expected any time for them guards coming our surfboard, you know, mm-hmm. and maul us in the ground. But you know, they never said a word. They never said they never even come close to us. They never uh, even evident- got their food. Didn't they? <laughs> evidently, that old Taijo. Evidently, that Taijo. And convinced them <laughs> that they was put me up there. <laughs> well, me and Paul, we sweat blood for four weeks around there. We thought any minute we're going to get it. <laughs> Did you ever uh, experience anything? In the, you mentioned you know this one Taijo was was fair. Did you ever experience anything of where they were merciful? I uh, I don't think so. That is not in the sense that we'd that we would consider it. <laughs> Among them, they probably thought they'd been very very kind <laughs> to us, but uh, yeah. not in the way that we would think so. Yeah. They, uh, for example, one might uh, uh, have his. They always carried their lunch with them out on the railroad, didn't know. And sometimes they'd have a little rice left over, or maybe some pickled plums or something like that. And uh, occasionally, not very often, he might give that to somebody. And that was real good stuff compared to all we eating. That was excellent stuff. But yet, five minutes later, he might be slobbered for no reason you could think of at all. So, yeah. But at the time you think, well, that old boy ain't too bad. <laughs> After all, then you knock your head off. <laughs> when you were out, you're out in the jungle working on this, um, on the railroad and everything. Did you ever think about escape, or did anybody? Oh, ever think about never, never, never quit. But how can you escape when you didn't know where you was? Mm-hmm. Where would you go? But we didn't know where the where the closest enemy or forces was, mm-hmm. closest friendly forces. We didn't have any idea where they was. We didn't know where we was. Didn't have any um, knives or. Oh, you could. Uh, yeah, you could just uh, stole a knife or something like that. And uh, there's when there was one a party of Australians when we was over in eastern or western. Burma, there's about six or seven of them. They decided to escape. And they was ready for it. They had clothes, had good boots. They had weapons, had guns. 
they had money. And there was one or two of them that could speak Burmese. Mm-hmm. They were pretty old. As ready as you could get. Mm-hmm. And conditioned. And they bugged out. Well, they got way up there in Burma someplace. They started getting sick. And the old malaria and stuff. They started getting sick. And then, and then the natives there would turn you in for 30 cents. Yeah. They, they, you, you couldn't depend on anybody helping you. Mm-hmm. You had to stay hid from them. And uh, finally, some of these Aussies uh, got stuck and had to drop out, and the natives picked them up. And the rest of them, they uh, they found out where they was, and they started dogging them. And they killed a couple of them and uh, captured the rest of them, brought them back down, back down to camp. And just turned the mint loose with us. I thought it was, thought it was over with. The boy, the more boys, is lucky they, they didn't get beat up. But uh, went on a few days. All of a sudden, the Jeff come down there with a squad of men, get the new guys up and took them on going the hill, shot them. Trying to escape. Yeah. You didn't have a chance. You didn't have a chance. as far as getting out of camp. Well, you know, so that, that we didn't have a fence around the camp. Mm-hmm. Any of the camps in Burma, we never even had a fence around. You could just walk out and have you on to. Don't get caught out there. Yeah. <laughs> you got caught, boy. <laughs> one time only. <laughs> just one special time. deal. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> when you were working on the railroad, did you, um, in addition to all that that was going on, uh, were you? Uh, Bond and straight oh, yeah. by your yeah. own. You bet your life. Allies. You bet your life. I'm so afraid of getting caught out on one of the bridges, you know. You got out there when the bombers come over. How often occasion was that? Oh, one too often. What the, got, got off and down towards the land last before the, the war went along, but then the, the more frequent it was, it's bombing that guy does almost daily. Is that right? But they were trying to just uh, bomb the railroad, keep it from uh, being completed. It's just bombing everything. Didn't care what. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> bombing the trains. Yeah. Ways of moving in uh, French English general on the railroad one time. And there, uh, they always stopped the train along about 11 o'clock in the morning. Till about two o'clock in the afternoon, and because that's when the strafers come down the railroad. Oh. <laughs> they just shot everything that was <laughs> moving, you know. And it, it uh, stopped the train, scattered the cars out about eleven o'clock. And, we, and then we go out and, and uh, hide out in the jungle, camouflage up, you know, and hide out in the jungle. And we was. Uh, there all camouflage up one day and uh, the old engine was still scattering the cars up and down the track and the one of them four engine bombers come over just flying just above the ground about 50 foot high and of course he started shooting when he got close he just he started putting bottles and everything <laughs> and <laughs> I was looking out of a little old hole there ahead at the engine. 
and all of a sudden the steam started courting out of you, and in all directions you know just <laughs> out of that boiler. Yeah, boiler. <laughs> yeah. The steam was curtain out of him. The engineer killed him. He was down the lane, and then the engine steam was squirting out all the bullet holes. And then we didn't have a train. And then we didn't have a way to go. That's why we walked. Well, <laughs> we had to walk. So that was about a year. And then when that uh, project was over, then what did they well, do? Well, we went into the thylum. Now, that, that, that was a big improvement over that jungle. That jungle was, when it went the island, the conditions there were much better. Mm-hmm. And were they uh, still working you? Yeah. Today? Oh, yeah. And we was, uh, our camp was right beside that big bridge across the river there. They used to go and bomb that bridge. <laughs> Man, they... I camp was too close. Them bombs used to fall to the camp, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we was there, I don't know, a couple of three months. And, and the Jeps, uh, they wanted to, some of the healthiest men uh, as a special workforce. They were going to send them to Japan. I didn't like that. But I was one of them they picked. I said, well, and uh, there's an Australian, Australian officer who was in charge of us. And uh, I forget what his name was now. They, what the, <laughs> they called him the Alabama and the 40 Thieves. <laughs> <laughs> but we got uh, selected to go to Japan. So we took off. On the railroad, we moved on the railroad to uh, Cambodia, over to Cambodia, mm-hmm. and Nam Pin. Then we got on the river uh, barge. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like a ferry boat. They were trying to take you to Japan, and we was going down the river to Saigon. Mm-hmm. We went down the river to Saigon. There we were supposed to get on a ship, see, mm-hmm. and go to Japan. Mm-hmm. Boy, I wasn't liking that a bit. I, did, I didn't want to go out on that ocean again because things were getting tough, you know. Mm-hmm. The submarines, <laughs> submarines everywhere. And uh, how did you know that? Just when you reading uh, that Japanese propaganda, you know, mm-hmm. you you could make out that things are getting tough for them. Mm-hmm. Of course, they, according to what they wrote, it was always a marvelous victory and all that sort of stuff. Now, and Beckers kept backing up close to Japan all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so we knew what that was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't so, have a victory in the bag up at the same time. So they were uh, taking you to Saigon. Yeah, we get yeah. to we got to Saigon, but uh, it was uh, it's a tough getting ships in there. That they couldn't get ships in there to get us out. Mm-hmm. The the ships that was in the harbor. Uh, they was afraid to leave, and they had French. Uh, of course, the French. Uh, that was a French position. French uh, had ships there in the harbor too. So we worked in Saigon then. Supposedly until I got safe to go, which I never did, mm-hmm. and till the end of the war. Mm-hmm. On the, and January, before the war was over, in August. What year is this? 
it was in January '45. Why there was the aircraft carriers, a whole bunch of them pulled up uh, offshore outside <laughs> Allied Air yeah, Force carriers? Yeah. Old Admiral Halsey with about 15 deck loads of planes, you know, <laughs> and he mauled old Saigon. Well, he just went up the coast. Mm-hmm. Every city it was, it, the Jets it off by it, he just mauled them. He just blocked them. Yeah. Bomb them and uh, that was he did that there Saigon one morning we we uh, bright and early for just just getting daylight the sun is coming up we heard uh, machine guns out the, the airport and then we heard the aircraft engines of course we didn't think too much of it then we thought just another raid you know and then all of a sudden the air started just filling up with airplanes. And they was just shooting everything moved. They sunk all the ships in the harbor, it blowed up all the warehouses and <clears throat> and we didn't know they were right low, they were just coming right over so this machine gun in these warehouses and bombing them. And we we was looking at them. We never seen them kind of planes before, see. These were allied planes. These are American, American planes. We didn't know what there was. <laughs> we didn't uh, the insignia. We'd never seen the insignia on it. It wasn't the same as it was when he was. When he went in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It changed it. Everybody saying, what kind of plane is them? Some of them I don't know. Ain't he Chinese? Ain't Russian? Ain't American? Well, I don't know what kind of airplanes in there. A new country joined the war. And though... The door, uh, I huddled all day in a little bit hole. I suddenly very, with my blanket on my head to keep the brakes from knocking my brains out. <laughs> uh, that evening, I was utterly wore out. I was just exhausted, you know, from nervous tension. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been hurt. But boy, I was sure glad, you know, because I knew, I knew the end was coming. They was well, they was up to where they could bring aircraft carriers in that close. Yeah. That they was getting the upper hand. We were boys walking in there. They bombed it for that whole day. The whole day. It's a, over a hundred airplanes, Japanese airplanes out the, at the airport. They just literally shot them to piles of junk. That's all <laughs> it was to it. We was out there working a couple of days afterwards. Them planes was just piled junk. It just shot them all to pieces. Hmm. And they shot up the hangars. The hangars are all right. <laughs> Ruined the... And the uh, airport had the bomb craters and the runaways. <laughs> they really made a mess out of that. This was, uh, this was January of 45. Five. Yeah. So the, the, end, the end was fairly near then. It yeah. seemed obvious at that point. Yeah. yeah. So what happened after that? Well, did they take you out of Saigon then, or just leave? No, there? we uh, we stayed there, but they uh, uh, started uh, getting the attitude change. You know, there wasn't near as much bashing you around as it would have been. Mm-hmm. We started getting a few clothes. You know, mm-hmm. we wasn't bare naked half the time. And uh, food started to improve a little bit. 
And then we was living in uh, And that's it. That's where the tape labeled Earl 4 ends. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more, let us know on twitter.com slash jflaunts. Bye for now.